This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is February 23rd. It's a Tuesday. Had a pretty hectic morning and afternoon in the markets, and then it reversed to being pretty flat. We saw the Dow reverse to 360 point loss, ended the day slightly higher, really after Jerome Powell, you know, said he thought that inflation was still soft and eased a lot of fears regarding uh, to that. The Treasury is currently sitting at 1.35% on a 10 year, which is the longest, it's, it's the highest it's been in quite some time. We also saw uh, pretty, you know, high yields in the 30 year as well. Um, and that's really, that's really the uh, update we have. Um, you know, as I said, looks like somewhat of a wild uh, daily correction, and then it ends up being flat. The economy was looking towards the Fed shares comments. We've talked about it on the podcast, uh, and a lot of people in the market have been talking about an overheating and a rising uh, inflationary inflationary environment and Jerome Powell put that to rest, saying that there's uh, still uncertainty and, and more needs to be done. Uh, the high flying tech stocks came under pressure amid maybe higher interest rates. That was also a good sign for energy and financials, uh, which are some of the two best performing sectors this year so far. Jonathan Gold, our last guest on the podcast, believes cyclical stocks will return to We'll have the market return to new highs uh, and based on that, because he thinks rising rates will be beneficial for financial and then also copper and oil prices going up will be good for industrials, energy and materials. Um, So it's good to see the market rebound because we were in a little bit of a a slide there for the first couple hours of trading. Yeah, we've also seen some pretty strong um, growth in retail sales, lots due to late you know, 2020 stimulus checks that have been hitting. So, and also we've seen some solid gains in, in real estate and manufacturing. Uh, when you're looking at the tracker from the Atlanta Federal Reserve, uh, it shows that GDP right now is indicating a growth of uh, 9.5% um, this first quarter. Well, it's interesting to see Yellen's stance on stimulus because she thinks the price, uh, what, what she said is the price of doing too little is much higher than the price of doing something big. And she said inflation has been low for over a decade. And that's a risk that the Federal Reserve and others have tools to to address. So uh, her her comments really seems like the stimulus check is coming. Uh, And then, as you mentioned, this the stimulus check that may come, uh, there was a study done that can keep 20 million adults afloat uh, through July based on being able to to afford their bills, as we've seen that uh, a lot of the stimulus checks have been helped for, for those who are behind on behind on bills. Uh, and this stimulus check can help them moving forward in the next couple of months. Yeah, you're seeing, you know, there's still a significant amount of Americans who are having a tough time paying rent. Um, then obviously, you know, in terms of uh, earlier on Thursday, the Labor Department, you know, reported uh, this was the other week. Um, you know, there was 
861,000 claims for, for jobless benefits. Um, still, so anything is still much higher than it was before, you know, the coronavirus reached our shores. Uh, there's still a lot of slack in the labor market and a lot of across a lot of important economic indicators. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Janet, you know, is really outlining all of this and showing that there's clearly some need for um, a lot of big stimulus, whether it comes in the form of the one point nine trillion dollar package still being hashed out. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about minimum wage later on, but that's going to be a big sticking point as we have. Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. Uh, Joe Manchin, you know, Senator of West Virginia, Kristen Cinema of Arizona, um, both Democrats, both both are very reticent on the fifteen dollar uh, number. Um, but yeah, I mean, so we'll see what happens with that within the package. But uh, you know, one one more thing on that is is there was uh, a study done by Morning Consult that saw that three-fourths of uh, adults fell short by less than $300 to pay their bills in January. With that in mind, an additional stimulus check coupled with income uh, and unemployment benefits, uh, that can enable a lot of adults uh, to be able to have their spending enhanced for, for expenses and, and cover those expenses to avoid having to dip into those savings, which would be pretty significant, uh, especially for the, the lower demographics who are the most in need of these stimulus checks. Yeah, this is disproportionately affected, you know, lower quartile of the population um, in terms of wages and everything else, uh, especially when you're looking at a household with, with incomes of $50,000 less a year. Uh, despite what Jerome Powell said, in terms of inflation, we definitely have seen PPI increases. Uh, we saw the producer price index uh, jumped up 1.3% last month. That's the biggest gain since December 2009. Um, so so you, you are seeing you know, what is a fairly sizable um, spike right now. We are seeing it, and, and even though we had the comments from Jerome Powell today, inflation is going to be be a topic over the year as we continue to see the $1.9 trillion spending. Uh, there also is a slack in the labor markets, which which remains with at least 20 million Americans on unemployment benefits. So uh, prices continue to rise. But as Janet Yellen's uh, comments as well, is that inflation hasn't been a really a big an issue for over a decade. And so it, for them, a little inflation is is not is not as harmful as not acting in the utmost capacity that they can today, which will therefore increase prices. Yeah, I mean, and then also even if you're looking at the personal consumption, ex the PC expenditure, the PCE index, uh, that's just right about the two percent inflationable inflation target, um, which which you know you can see is a, it's a flexible average. Obviously, the big outlier has been wholesale energy prices; uh, they went up. Um, you know, 5.1% and on in January, and that was you know following a 4.9% rise in December. So energy prices have significantly um, outpaced you know the rest of inflation across the board. And one thing that we should look at as we think about inflation and and an asset bubble has been a conversation as well. And we saw the St. Louis Fed Federal Reserve Chair James Pillard. 
uh, talk about that he doesn't see a bubble in asset prices and, and doubts that the central bank needs to start tightening policy anytime soon, which also we, we saw in the comments from Jerome Powell earlier today. Uh, really, the biggest thing that's driving up the stock market right now is surging other than Bitcoin and GameStop, but really the the tech companies. So if you and we had drawn capital on a couple podcasts ago, but to listen to them, how they think about th the innovation in these tech companies that they're able to increase in com companies efficiencies, uh, make our daily lives easier, help with biotech. I mean, the list just keeps on going, especially for the large, uh, great tech technological companies that, that we've seen grow in the past decade and that they have they have the cash on hand, they have great continued re revenues, they have high demand and good business models. So really when you're trying to put a valuation on that, uh, you can see why they have continued to to grow and why the NASDAQ had, has done so well, uh, which is really a tech heavy uh, index over the last say 18 months or so. Yeah, I mean, and that was a big part of, you know, uh, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard was alluding to the fact that a lot of growth you're seeing in tech is is based on some fundamental advancement. Um, and, you know, he, he mentioned, of course, that the fact that there are Wall Street analysts that can see the U.S. economy might even grow faster than China this year, um, you know, if, especially if you've got monetary and fiscal policy acting as a, as Tinder. But right now, he... Um, you know, he, he seems, you know, pretty, pretty at ease and, and mentioned that he's not even particularly concerned about the surge in, in Bitcoin pricing, um, which is, you know, in the, in the tens of thousands of dollars right now. But Well, and we're seeing more and more companies invest in. I, I think you mentioned it to me earlier that Slack may have also jumped in following. Uh, was it Robinhood who, who bought some Bitcoin as well? So. Uh, as more companies begin to buy that, that's going to continue to drive the demand up because there's only so many Bitcoins available. But let's change gears here, Drew. We have seen household debt um, rise to $14.6 as 2020 came to an end. A lot of this is based on really low rates uh, driven by the Fed decreasing their rates to near zero in order to combat the pandemic. Uh and myself being in the housing market right now, trying to buy a a house with low demand and low rates has been uh, painful to say the least. But Drew, what do we think about household debt, where mortgages are? Is this going to continue to to stay the trend, or in in are people becoming too over level le levered? Excuse me, similar to what we saw in two thousand and and seven. Oh God, I. Uh, I I, I'm not going to forecast on on anything resembling 2007, um, but I mean, yes, w w when you're looking at mortgage debt that passed the 10 trillion dollar mark um, for the first time and is actually rose at the fastest rate the fourth quarter since 2006. So that's definitely something um, to keep an eye on. Um, I mean, you know, you're looking at borrowers; they had two big things going for them uh, last year, which were low, low interest rates. And then there's been a lot of forbearance guidelines uh, that have largely maintained um, delinquencies. So 
you had both those things working in the favor of, of homeowners. Um, you actually saw uh, the delinquency rate for all debt um, fell um, over the last bit here, uh, especially you know when you're looking at um, you know from 19 to 2019 to, to, to 2020. But yeah, right now it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, how that how that comes comes to play. And really, a big piece of it was the mortgage refinancing. Uh, we saw applications to refinance last week jump by 11% from the previous week. Demand was 59% higher than a year ago. Uh, and, and really, that's because we we, we see rates are so low and, and had dropped by 10 basis points from the week before, and, and people are continuing to refinancing. Uh, and why not? When, when rates are so low, why not lock those in? Yeah, a lot of refinancing. And then you also saw mortgage applications to buy a home were pretty flat for the week. They rose just 0.1%. Um, but purchase demand is still 16% higher than it, in a, than it was last year. So uh, supply is kind of a little bit on the skinny end. Um, but you know, when, when you're looking at uh, higher end, it's, 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 uh, that's another story. Let's jump into a topic of debate that we saw that was part of the stimulus package and that uh, from both sides and, and different states ha have different minimum wages, but the $15 federal minimum wage and what impact that would have on the economy. Uh, Drew, broad question, what are your thoughts, the pros and cons of, of rising to a 15% minimum wage? Well, the pros on a political spectrum are obviously very high. Um, the minimum wage increase is wildly popular. Uh, in fact, 40 percent of Republicans um, favor this rise when you're looking at, you know, a recent Pew survey. When you get to what economists think, it's a little bit more divided. But OK, let's start with the pros. And that is. The country is in a fundamental crisis when it comes to wages, and it really has been since the 80s. Uh, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. I don't know if for our listeners, if they might have saw President Joe Biden at the town hall. Uh, he mentioned that the minimum wage via inflation should be over $20. Now, that, that was a bungled statistic. Um, what he was probably alluding to was productivity, uh, which would certainly have been the case. Uh, when you're looking at, you know, when the minimum wage really was created, uh, which was in 1938, it did for a long time keep up with productivity, never mind inflation. Um, so, you know, from the from 40s to the 50s to the 60s to the 70s, uh, we really, really we're online with productivity growth. Uh, since then, the uh, minimum wage has fallen dramatically in compared to productivity. And even more, you know, vexing is in comparison to, to inflation adjusted minimum wage dollars. Um, so, you know, when you're looking at inflation, minimum adjusted wage dollars, it was really at its peak in 1968, which today would be just over uh, $12. Um, it's been raised 
14 times since then, but has not kept pace with the cost of living. And right now, this has been a 12-year stretch since the minimum wage has risen, and that is the longest it's gone without a boost. Uh, I think it is very unfortunate that unlike Social Security, we don't have a minimum wage that has a COLA adjustment every year. I think it is it is crazy, uh, frankly. But that being said, what does it mean and why are there a lot of economists that are worried? So, uh, you know, in the British government in 2019, they did some research with the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and they concluded that minimum wage is up to 60 percent of the median wage in um in a high wage region or 80% of the minimum wage in a low wage region would not have much big effects on employment. Um, but what are we seeing if we have this rise? Well, then there's a lot of states that are still observing the $725 or slightly above. Uh, and in 21 states, a $15 minimum wage would more than um, double the uh Minimum in 28, it would actually push the floor above 80% of the state level median, uh, which is right on the high end of employment effects. When you're looking at a very, very poor state like Mississippi, a lot of regards to the poorest state in the country, that would be 100% of the median wage would be $15 an hour. So that is something to be very concerned about. And I think that's where a lot of the debate comes in. But I think if calculated in a way, and if you spread it across maybe more years or slightly slightly uh, lowered from fifteen, I think this can be can be done smartly. Those those stats about eighty percent, twenty eight states, the payment floor would be above eighty percent of the state uh, level median is pretty eye opening. To your point, 2015, when uh, a poll of economists were were taken, 40 percent of the about a 15 minimum wage, 40 percent responded undecided. So it, it is a big debate. I think $15 might be a little much and there needs to be a, a good uh, progression plan to it. Uh, because the Democrats may find themselves in a situation where they move it up too quickly and then companies in these uh, areas that you just mentioned, as well as rural areas where uh, they do look at the 725 minimum as as the as the cutoff for, for their minimum wage, uh, if they have to lay off workers in order to uh, fund that economic transformation, uh, that is going to um, may cause <laughs> them to vote for the other party, right? Because that could also lead to higher unemployment and, and other issues. Um, but it, it could also be another way that uh, it could give them an opportunity to invest in education, infrastructure, incentivize private sectors to, to boost productivity um, in, in order to be more profitable, in order to meet the minimum wage. So it, it I think it's a debate that we're going to continue to see. 15 may be too high, but I do think you're going to see that that uh, minimum wage increase from 725 in the next year. Yeah, I mean, at the core, I think the biggest problem the country faces um, economically, especially over 40 years, is just wage stagnation. Um, you know, there was 
times where this this wouldn't even be a debate. And I think as a result, we've seen our social mobility just uh, plummet. I mean, when you're looking at the World Economic Forum's Global Social Mobility Index, uh, the United States now ranks 27th. Uh, that is not that red, white, and awesome. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to be proud of that number. Um, and there's 40 years of data that's created the situation we're in with social mobility and just completely flat wages, not even relative to productivity, but relative to just basic inflation. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the pitfalls of overdoing this thing um, could be significant if, if there are, you know, employment layoffs, but uh, I, I do think there had something has to be done. I mean, at some point, something has to give. Uh, I mean, people in a lot of ways are fundamentally poorer than they were, um, you know, four decades ago. And, and I do think that's a big problem. Absolutely. And, and one other article we, we saw in The Economist is really, it's titled What in a Hot America, American Economy Means for the Rest of the World and How It Would Benefit and Enhance Our Trade Partners. Uh, and really the core of it is the spillover effects from our, our fiscal policy and and what our GDP is and, and how it affects our trading partners. An analysis published in 2017 uh, found that American stimulus mostly of spending as opposed to tax cuts worth 1% of GDP rises the output of the average country by 0.33% in the first year. And those countries that have closer trade ties to us experience bigger effects uh, as our neighbor to the north, Canada, estimated three times that average. And, and if we think about what we've discussed today and a couple other podcasts is really around uh, this continued stimulus and how uh, our economy could be ready for a, a huge recovery in 2021 and what that means for our trading partners, uh, especially if we think about inflationary environment and um, really how that impacts our, our trading partners based on uh, America's overheating economy. Yeah, expect very close trading partners, which I mean, you mentioned Canada, US and Canada have the largest um, uh, shared border on the planet. And the fact you know that we are their major, um, major trading partner. So yeah, if you have cash in hand stimulus, people are going to buy a lot more Crown Royale and Canadian Goose and, um, you know, name your name your um, favorite products uh, to our cousins in the north. But at the same time, yes, it has a great effect on trade. But likewise, when we're talking about domestic inflation, that is increasingly more responsive um, over time to global factors as well. Uh, when especially even when you're talking about economic slack across the global economy. Um, so, yeah, it's on, on the flip side, you know, we've talked about the issue of increased inflation that has global spillovers as well. Uh, increasingly, you know, I mean, there's the reason why there's a saying, um, you know, when America sneezes, the whole world, you know, catches catches a cold. Uh, and that's that's for both good reasons and bad reasons. And with that, I think, uh, you know, kind of wrap things up. Grant, uh, is there anything we might have overlooked in our conversation today? 
A uh, couple things. We saw BlackRock clarifies its climate change uh, goals. So we, we talked about that. We also saw SoftBank is nearing a settlement with the old founder of, of WeWork about the, the stake there. Uh, and, and really continuing to see the record number of SPACs. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's pretty incredible to see how fast that those have, have grown this year and, and really continue to grow. I think next time we have drawn capital on, we'll definitely have them do a deeper dive in, into SPACs. What about you, Drew? Well, I'm really waiting to see how the conversation in regards to Texas plays out um, in terms of energy grids, um, You know whether that's an issue of what forms energy uh, or whether that's an issue of deregulations, um, because that's going to have quite a significant impact in this country's second largest economy. Um, we didn't talk about Texas, but obviously that was a was a was a gigantic issue. Um, I mean, people have gotten some pretty unexpected energy bills, uh, ranging from ten grand, twenty, uh, you know, five grand, ten grand, uh, some pretty exorbitant numbers. So I I do think there's a chance of some systematic changes on how that state views its energy grid, and uh, there's going to be, you know, a lot of discussions regarding that. With that, everybody, enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.